everybody. My name is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. It's now exam season on campus, and that means that this past weekend was the final action of the semester for our Thunderbird teams. Hockey had the best weekend of the sports in action, while volleyball and basketball were more split. But before we get to everything that happened, we have another interview for you, as I was able to sit down with women's rugby star Savannah Bowder. That's right, it's Savannah Bowder, not Bowder, as we've been saying on the show this entire time. <laughs> Apologies to Savannah for that mix-up, but now the good thing we've got that sorted. And we discussed her great season and the rugby team as a whole's great season in what was her first year having some proper games at UBC. Here is that interview. Of CITR Sports and with me today is one of the women's rugby team who was named the Canada West Player of the Year last month, Savannah Bowder. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, just a couple weeks ago, you were in Kingston for the U Sports National Championship Tournament. Obviously, it didn't go as you guys had hoped for, but what was the experience of just flying out there and taking part in that tournament like? Um, flying out there, obviously, wasn't ideal. A four-hour flight is not um, preferable, but once we got there, it was a um, super nice campus that we were staying on. Queens has a very nice field. Um, the weather wasn't that bad. It was kind of cold, but not as bad as um, I have heard it's been there. But um, yeah, it was pretty nice. Like all around the campus was really pretty. And um, yeah, the field was just like really nice to play on. And what, what kind of setup did you guys have? Like what were what were your accommodations like for the tournament? Because you were there for a few days. Yeah, we were staying in um, like a hotel that was, I think, like 10, 15 minutes away from the campus. But um, it was kind of funny because like almost every team was like in that hotel or a hotel like just across the street. So every morning we'd see all our opponents like going for breakfast with us or just like walking to the pool or like in the common areas. Like we saw everyone like all the time. And uh, were there different restrictions that you guys had to deal with or were you free to do mostly what you wanted? Like we had to stay as a team really and like obviously wearing a mask indoors all the time. But um, our like main focus was school, obviously, because it was reading break. We had to catch up on everything we've missed. So most had of our to, time. I had, had to catch up on school while also taking part in the national championships. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bit exactly. of a balancing so act. Yeah, when we weren't like doing group meetings or something, we were in our rooms doing homework. You guys, you did have a great season. You went 7-0 in Canada West play, including playoffs, won the conference championship. Really the most successful year that the UBC women's rugby program has had. What do you think were the biggest factors in making that happen? I think this year we really focused on like cohesion and like working together, which obviously is really important for playing a game of rugby. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think like overall, like our coach Dean has been focusing on like working together and like looking back at the players before you and focusing on like leaving the program better for the people to come. So I think just, yeah, like collectively working as a unit for obviously like winning games has um, helped us a lot. Yeah. Now the team entered the season, the defending conference champions from back in 2019. So I imagine you guys were a confident group heading into uh, this season, but even with that, did you think that things were going to go as well as they did? No, because, well, I don't know, like 
Yes and no. Obviously, like every year it's different with people graduating and people coming in. But um, we like at the start of like, well, going like back last year, we didn't even have a season. We were practicing with pool noodles because we couldn't touch each other. <laughs> and then coming to this season, like we obviously had no idea like what was out there, like on the other teams, because like they had a whole year of practicing and like development. And like we know how hard we worked and we can only imagine how much work the other teams have put in so like we really had no idea what we were up against and it was just like take one game at a time really can, can you go back to the practicing with pool noodles what how, how exactly <laughs> did that work <laughs> yeah so um because obviously like you had to stay six feet apart we we're in small groups of like maybe like six or ten players when we we're doing like just like passing or something and then after every like group you'd go to you had to sanitize everything like sanitize the balls sanitize like the pads and everything <clears throat> and then like when we'd all come together we couldn't like touch each other obviously or do any contact so we had to use pool noodles to like hit each other um but obviously that's really unrealistic because you have an extra like five feet to like hit someone and then so my coach decided that we had to like hold it one side in each hand but then he didn't realize we could just like put it around each other's heads <laughs> so that got pretty dangerous we had to stop doing that so yeah it was just like adaptations to COVID really when working with foam, foam objects becomes too dangerous for practice <laughs> yeah exactly now you weren't on that 2019 team that won the Canada West Championship as you arrived at UBC last year during the cancelled season you're from North <laughs> Vancouver so were you always looking at coming to UBC or how easy or difficult of a decision was that? Well, during the 2019 season, I was actually at SFU um, and I played soccer there. So like near the end of COVID, I thought like missing rugby a lot really. And like I saw, obviously I could see on the UBC page, like how well they were doing. And um, it just made me miss it a little more, I guess. So um, I got in contact with Dean, like the head coach and he, um, put into terms like realistically for me to come to UBC and so I like started my transfer then but yeah I just really missed it like coming out of high school and like I was playing in high school and then taking a year off I definitely missed like all the players I played with and just the contact aspect of rugby it's not like you can get that in other sports really and does so does SFU just not have a rugby program that you were able to take part in um well they play in the NCAA so it's like American schools and I guess like I don't really know how it works but I think their um, women's rugby program just doesn't have enough players or like support to go into playing in the NCAA so uh, they just play they play club with our like club teams around here as well. So was the decision to go from SFU to UBC was that a lot about rugby was it about uh, the school that you're doing as well or what what was the balance there? Well to be honest my first year I had no idea what I wanted to do for school <laughs> I kind of just went into like general studies and I know that SFU obviously has a really good crim program so I did that um for my first year and then I still really don't know what I'm doing <laughs> but I transferred <laughs> into psych and I just took psych because that's what most of my classes would transfer into so I'm just going sticking with psych for now <laughs> and uh with regards to the rugby specifically how do you think that year last year of just practicing and acclimating to being here at UBC and with the team prepared you for this season? Um, I think last year definitely like helped all of us that are second years now. We're like we never had a season 
so obviously like practicing for a whole year like really got us like well, I guess not as good as we could have if it was not COVID but um really got us back in like the mindset of actually playing like we couldn't hit each other obviously or like be close to each other but um just like being together as a group again really got us like in the mindset of playing rugby again which was good and for you as one of the new players coming in do you think <laughs> that helped you get used to being on this team specifically with this group of people yeah because like we couldn't really have any team bonding because obviously covid we couldn't be all together but um being together as like a group during last year really like I think brought us together like we didn't have I think we only had two or three girls graduating so we kind of knew what the team was going to look like for this year and so I think that really helped but like also for me switching from soccer to rugby like it's totally different like I wasn't like I think the like year helped me like get in get ready for contact again because like obviously I took a year off so I wasn't like at the same level as everyone else has since they came right from high school. And you didn't, you didn't bother trying out for the UBC uh, soccer team in the meantime? Um, no, because the seasons are the same time, so I couldn't do that. <laughs> and uh, even though this was your first season playing proper games here, you stepped into a fairly big role quickly. Uh, for one thing, you took over as the primary kicker for the team. And I'm curious as to how that decision came about, because that role was previously filled by Shoshana Samanatafa, who is still on the team, was the Canada West Player of the Year back in 2019. So how did that transition happen? Um, she's actually my roommate. That's funny. Um, but um, one practice, just our, our backs coach, Brian, came up to, it was Maddie Gold, Shosh, and myself. And he, um, he like stood us in front of the uprights and he said, like, everyone kick five. And then we went just from different angles. And he said, like, whoever makes the most is going to be the kicker. So it was really dependent on that one day. <laughs> it was, the decision was made just in that one practice. Yeah. Or for like, for like, um, like kicking off the tee, obviously Shosh does like the drop kicks and stuff. Cause I don't like doing that, but yeah, it was based off that one day. You're, you're only in it for the, getting the glory for the points, not for the drop. Yeah. Kicks. Get those extra points <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Is, is there, is there any beef uh, with your uh, living accommodations, given that you've taken over that role from her? <laughs> no there isn't you did you did hit the ground uh running this season you didn't score a try in the season opener but you then scored nine over the next three games did you come into this year expecting to be that much of a scorer for the team no I really didn't I like I always saw like other teams play obviously and I it's like I mean everyone brings something different to the table and like looking at last year or 2019 before I came in I don't think there was anyone that like scored like it was like the main score like I think it was pretty evened out like I mean Shosh obviously was like all-star but <laughs> um like it was pretty even throughout like every position but um I think I came into the season thinking like I have nothing to lose like nobody knows who I am so I might as well like try my best to be known yeah I just tried that like the first game I was really nervous obviously like everyone was nervous it's their first ever game but I think after that, I kind of got used to it and got back into like my way of playing. And was there ever a point where the the rest of the team, the coaching staff is saying, hey, Savannah scoring a lot. It's wor really working. Let's have a concentrated effort to try and make that happen more. Or is it still within the same sort of game plan the whole time? Um, we basically like stuck to the same game plan. Like obviously we have a couple of plays like focused on me running a bit more than other people but um 
my coach basically just told me don't run into contact because he doesn't want me getting hurt so I usually just try to get it out and then get it again on the outside where the people are smaller than they are on the inside. I'm uh, I'm curious I'm curious to know uh, from your perspective as a player what do you see as your own biggest strengths on the field? Um, I think one of my biggest strengths is my speed. I feel like I'm one of the fastest on the team. There might like I think there's like a couple girls that are a little quicker than me, but um, I think my speed is definitely one of my best aspects. And um, kicking on like some days is good, some days it's bad. But I say kicking is one of them as well. <laughs> you'd hope you'd hope it's good if you're being relied upon to uh, hit, exactly, hit those yeah. conversions. What about any things you feel that you really want to improve on over the rest of your time here at UBC? I think I just want to like, obviously like making big tackles is really sick to watch from like um, a spectator point of view. And I just want to have like a big hit that everyone's like, oh God, that was so cool. <laughs> so we're working on your, I guess, defensive play a little bit. Yeah. And uh, as mentioned off the top, you were named the Canada West Player of the Year this season. What was your uh, reaction to receiving that honor? I didn't know that I, I like I thought I was still considered a rookie so when um Laura a girl on the UVic team got named rookie of the year I was super bummed because I was like oh that could have been me but then I guess I wasn't a rookie and so they called me player of the year which is super cool and just having I mean like obviously it would have been cooler if we were at home but just having like our eight fans in Calgary cheer for me <laughs> was, pretty, <laughs> was pretty nice and uh, we touched on nationals a little bit earlier. It was the it was there that the team suffered their only mm-hmm. loss of the season in the quarterfinals against Queens, who were the gracious hosts of the tournament. Uh, after that, you bounced back with a couple blowout wins in the consolation bracket. So, what made that game against Queens that different compared to all the other ones that you guys played this year? Well, obviously, like during the season, we didn't get scored on that much. So when Queens came out, like right off the first whistle and scored on us twice that was really like a like eye-opener like oh god we need to get back in the game because we're like sleeping basically but yeah like I think we just weren't ready like right off the start and like obviously that's not ideal for a game like you have to play from the first whistle to the last and we just weren't ready for that I think like they came out wanting it more I think that was your first real setback of the season and mm-hmm. coming at that crucial of a time, what was the atmosphere like within the team after that game? After that game, um, I think, like, obviously, nobody likes losing. It's not the greatest feeling in the world, but um, we just, like, came together. And, like, obviously, like, for some of the seniors, that was their last chance at, like, a national um, title. But... Um, we just came together like as a team and just thought like we have two more games we might as well make the most of it we came here for a reason if we're not coming first like we better win the next two games and make a statement on like what we're going to do next year and just hopefully we'll be in the finals next year instead of playing for fifth yeah it was a quick turnaround because you had to regroup and then get back out on the pitch again just two days later and then play Mm -hmm. a third game right after that do you think that turnaround time might have helped with the dealing with the fallout from that loss like yes and no because I feel like um like after every game we do a bit of game review but like obviously nobody like I said nobody likes losing so nobody wanted to watch the film of the game we just lost but um for the second game I think it was against Acadia we um 
we were able to get some, see some of the younger girls or less experienced girls on the pitch um, to get a bit of playing time. So I think that also helped like giving some of the starters a rest for the next game. And now that uh, you've had some time to get back home, decompress after nationals, what are your main takeaways from that tournament and looking ahead to what's next? My main takeaways I'd say are um, the game goes by a lot faster than you think, <laughs> um, especially in the Queens game. I thought there was so much more time when there wasn't. I think we just need to, like looking on to next year, we just need to focus on like playing, like I said, to the final whistle and like not giving up because like you never know what could happen. Now, usually in the spring, there is a rugby seven season, though the fall season is all rugby 15s. Uh, as of right now, we think there's going to be a rugby seven season. There's not been official confirmation about that, but hopefully it'll happen. If it does end up happening, is that something that you would like to or you're planning on taking part in? Mm -hmm. um, I am planning. Well, if we do have a season, I am planning on playing. Obviously, it's up to the coaches if I do play, but I'm assuming most of our backs are going to play because obviously sevens is a quick game and you want some speed. No, no offense to the forwards. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm planning on playing and I, I've never really played sevens. I played like one tournament in high school, but I think that'll be a whole new experience and I hope I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Are you, you said you've, so you just said you've played one tournament before. What was that, was that experience sort of an eye-opening one for you or a surprising one at how different the game is compared to 15s? Yeah, I didn't realize like how tiring it is. It's basically just like 14 minutes of sprinting, but um, I didn't really know what I was doing because I did it in high school and my coach just like entered us in a tournament and he's like, okay, go play and like didn't explain any of the rules. <laughs> um, so we're basically playing like 15s just with seven people. Like we're trying to take the ball and like run into people, but like obviously you want to run around them in sevens because there's only seven people on the pitch. So yeah, I think with some coaching, it'll definitely be less tiring and more fun. Well, that's all that I have for you today. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to add before we go? No, I don't think I have anything else to add. So uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, this has been Jake McGrail of CITO Sports talking with Savannah Bowder of UBC Women's Rugby. And thank you all for listening. As said there, thank you again to Savannah Bowder for coming on the show. We're now going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs. And when we come back, we will talk about everything that's happened in this past week for our UBC Thunderbird teams. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming client-centered models of service, ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive healthcare that is equitable and available, and supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and healthcare providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for trans members of our community. Start off your new year with a new skill. 
This spring, Emily Carr University's Continuing Studies is proud to offer courses and workshops online and in person. Choose from over 100 courses, from weekend workshops designed for beginners to skills-focused certificate programs. Whether you're seeking an artistic outlet or looking to add to your professional skill toolkit, Emily Carr has you covered. From painting to print media, industrial design to web design, there's something for everyone. Find your fit at ecuad.ca cs. Register now and commit to your creative future. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. I'm Jake McGrail. Joining me now in the studio, we got Corey Branson, we got Diana Hong, and we're going to take a look back at our hockey, volleyball, and basketball teams, starting with hockey. Starting with men's hockey. I mean, what can we really say? Scorching hot with and within a real shot of being named the country's number one team heading into the winter break. Here's how their weekend shaped up in Langley. Yeah, first game on Thursday saw a three-goal outburst in the second period. Kyle McNabb tipped home the opening tally of the game before Jake Kriske stuffed a rebound past the goalie. And Tyler Sandu tipped in a shot from the point. Yeah, Sandu, he also assisted on both of the other two goals. He's the captain leading the team in scoring. Uh, he's now third, tied for third in Canada West in total points this season with five goals and 10 assists in 12 games. Good numbers from him. Chris Key finished off the scoring in this game with a par playmaker. Oh, marker, sorry. The third goal on the men advantage that night. After starting the season with just three par play goals in their first nine games, the Birds have now scored five times on the man advantage in the last two. And we talked about this on the show, so I like to think they were listening. Yeah, bull- we... Bullying works, yes. as we learned with the football team earlier in the semester. <laughs> yeah. uh, the next game on Saturday saw a little less offense. Two first period goals by McNabb and Chris Douglas were all that was needed as UBC entered the winter break on a four-game winning streak. Yeah, Rowland Dalton in goal, he was stellar all weekend, backstopped the Thunderbirds to two more wins. That was a 23-save shutout on Thursday before he stopped all 25 shots on Saturday for back-to-back shutouts. Not much more you can ask for out of him. No, definitely. On the other side, uh, Spartans goalie Taylor Joseph, he was beaten twice on Saturday. He did also make 41 saves to keep his team in it. UBC outshot Trinity Western 43-25 to in that one, so he was getting peppered in that. The Thunderbirds will be able to enjoy their holidays while holding first place in Canada West with a 10-1-1 record. It's been the best start in over 30 years for the program, and they continue to hold second in the national rankings after UNB. Their next games in January are against Mount Royal, who are fifth place at 6-5-1. Yeah, I remember looking up when say with the for sandu with the goal scoring lead both of the top two highest scores in the conference are on mount royal despite them being a pretty average team overall they score a lot of goals they also give up a lot of goals so, the edmonton oilers that's <laughs> yeah, the that, leon dry yeah. and connor mcdavid there we go that's a good West. that's a good way of looking at yeah. it now moving on to women's uh the women's team Hockey team also had a not-too-difficult time against the Spartans, as though they conceded multiple goals in both games, they also lit it up on the score sheet. The first game, UBC matched their season high in goals as they won 8-3. Yeah, they matched their season high that they also set against Trinity Western, really padding those stats (laughs) against uh, the Spartans. It was Ryland McKinnon. She opened the scoring less than three minutes into the game. Spartans did equalize less than a minute later, shorthanded. However, Ireland Parrott then scored twice before the first ended to 
give UBC a bigger lead heading into the second. Yeah, McKinnon then scored her second, 50 seconds into the second period, and Mackenzie Kordick made it 5-1 after that. TWU scored another in the dying seconds of the frame, but the game was already out of reach. UBC piled it on more in the third with three power play goals, the first from Joel Fiala and the other two from Ashley McFadden. The Spartans got one more in between that, but UBC was comfortable all the way as they outshot Trinity Western University by 43-16. to 16. Yeah, and Elise Hugens, we've talked her up so much on this show for being almost invincible in goal, but she was mortal this past uh, weekend. She only played in one of the two games. And the three goals that she allowed in that first one dropped her save percentage to 939, which is now third in Canada West in that category. She does still have the best goals against average in the conference at 1.13. The rematch the next night was closer for a while as the Spartans took a 1-0 lead less than two minutes in. It took until the final minute of the period for the Thunderbirds to equalize through Kenzie Robinson. UBC then took the lead in the second with two goals from Chanrit Bassi and Kordik. But the Spartans got one back to make it a one-goal game heading into the third period. Yeah, Thunderbirds, they took that personally, however, and then they outshot TWU 14-2 in the third period. Complete domination there, and they scored twice to make it a 5-2 win in the end. First, it was Parat. She scored her third of the weekend before Shaylee McConnell, who will be on our show next week, scored on the power play for uh, further insurance. The Thunderbirds now sit second in Canada West, as Diana would say, they are lighting it up with a record of 9-3, and three, <laughs> and they've risen to seventh in the national rankings. Their first games back in the new year will be big, as they are against the conference-leading number four nationally ranked Mount Royal. And looking at volleyball now, both of our volleyball teams split their road series against our sister school, UBC Okanagan, winning the first night and then losing the second in both occasions. The men's team took Friday's match 3-1, to one, losing the first set before dominating the Heat in the next three. They took those three sets with a combined score of 75-49. to 49. UBC's offense was quiet in the first set, hitting 174 as a team, but the rest of the night they hit 423, and they held the Heat to a 57 hitting uh, hitting percentage in those final three sets. Colton Liu had a season-high 14 kills along with five digs. Michael Dohaniak had 13 kills and three aces. Matt Neves had 10 kills, seven digs, and four Blocks, the big three, doing big three things. The only bad thing from them is that they had a combined 16 service errors. I mean, that's always a problem with the men's volleyball team. They love <laughs> they love going for as many aces as possible, and then they rack up all those uh, service errors as well. The Thunderbirds, their two rookie starters, also had good performances. Setter Mason Greves had a lot of assists and seven digs as well, and... James Vincent put up seven kills on an 875 hitting percentage. I think it was seven kills, zero attack errors, and only one attack where he didn't get a kill. Pretty good. Unfortunately, the tables were turned in the rematch as the Thunderbirds were swept by the Heat. Two of those sets were decided by scores of 25 to 23, so it wasn't a complete blowout, but it was a statement win for UBCO, who are now 4-2 and second in the West Division behind Trini Western University. Cole Bransma got the start in place of Dauhaniak, who did not play. He put up a career-high 13 kills on a 409 hitting percentage. Lou had 11 kills of his own, but the rest of the team combined had just 11, including Neves, who really struggled. He only hit 058. 
What really killed UBC, though, as I mentioned earlier, was their propensity to give up service errors. They had just three aces and then 20 service errors. That's a 17-point difference between the two. The Heat, they also weren't great with five aces and 14 service errors, but in a match with sets that were that close, that much of a difference really had a big impact on the result. This was the first time the Thunderbirds have lost to UBCO since January 2014. The Birds are now 3-3 and third in the West Division. They'll play last place Thompson Rivers when play resumes in the new year. And on the women's side, the Thunderbirds, they swept the Heat on Friday night, winning by very close margins in the first two sets before then blowing them out 25-15 in the third. Despite winning all three sets, the Thunderbirds actually had fewer kills, uh, 29 versus 38, and hit just 177 as a team. The difference is that the block count was 9-4 and the ace count was 7-0 in favor of UBC, with the Heat also having 13 service errors. Hey, we thought the men's team was bad with their <laughs> ratio. 0-13 <laughs> is infinitely worse, I can tell you that. Claire Cossarini, she was all over the court. Both the offensive and defensive star for the Thunderbirds. 11 kills on a 733 hitting percentage, along with a career-high 7 blocks. Erica Vermette had 5 kills, 4 digs, and 5 blocks, while Jade Robertson recorded 5 kills and 2 blocks in her first start of the season. Yeah, and speaking of the serving, UBC, they had more aces than service errors for just the second time this season. That was led by setter Kayla Oxland, who had 3 aces along with 22 assists. No one had multiple service errors. Very clean game for a UBC. <laughs> Colton Lou reading that stuff. Like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Good for y'all. Huh? Sadly, UBC could not keep up the momentum and lost on Saturday. This was about as close of a four-set match you could have as UBC won the first set, 25-22, to then lost 25-23, to 25 to 22 next set and 25 to 23. I mean, it's not like that game against Trinity Western where they went into the extra points two times, but it was it was still very, very close every single set between those two teams. And unsurprisingly, this match was very close statistically as well. The Thunderbirds, again, were cleaner at the service line, just 10 hour, 10 errors, pardon me, compared to 18 for the Heat. But the Heat, again, had more kills, and the block count was even this time. Yeah, it was Kara Kovacs. She led the way for UBC in this game. 17 kills, 3 digs, and 4 blocks. Kossarini had 8 kills and 4 blocks. And then, meanwhile, Oxland had 37 assists and a season-high 10 digs. The women's team are now also 3-3 and 3rd in the West Division behind Trinity Western University and UBCO, who are both 5-1. Like the men's, their next opponents, Thompson Rivers, are in the last place, with those matches taking place on January 14th and 15th. We're going to talk a little bit about basketball. In their ninth game of the season, our women's basketball team finally broke their close game curse. Huzzah! Unfortunately, the blowout they retreated to ended with them on the wrong side of the scoreline as the visiting Trinity Western Spartans won 75-52 on Friday. The next day, the Thunderbirds relapsed. They wound up in a tight overtime contest once again. Despite the change in entertainment value, UBC lost once more, 68-61. to So much Trinity Western talk today. Honestly. <laughs> gotta, get, get, gotta get them out of here. Game one, never in doubt for the Spartans. This was Diana's. Big debut as a member of the commentary team. Her and I called this game, and it was not a very fun game to call. <laughs> not at all. The Spartans, they put up seven straight points to start. They were up 16-2 to midway through the first quarter. 
It the deficit was a bit more manageable, twenty to twelve after ten minutes. Diane, I think they got it to around six or seven points at mm-hmm. one point. Yes. And then the Spartans just didn't slow down. They kept blowing them out. They outscored UBC in every quarter of this game. Yeah. Haley Council led the Thunderbirds with 13 points, but she shot only 3-12 to 12 from the field and had three tor- turnovers. Kate Johnson was the only other UBC player to exceed 10 points as she had 12. Olivia Weeks and Dinah... Dina. <laughs> Come on, you called the game, no. Diana. <laughs> Dina. Yes, Dina. Oh, my goodness. Strujic had six rebounds apiece. It's actually pronounced DNA. Um, <laughs> actually, I asked the same question when I was talking to Jake about it. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> Four Thunderbirds tied for the team lead in assists, which looks like a really fun stat until you realize they each had just one. That was four total assists for the Thunderbirds. That was half of what Keanu Weens alone provided to the Spartans in that one yeah. game. It basically, the, the summary of that game was UBC not good. <laughs> not good. Game, game two, which uh, Corey was in the booth for that one, uh, that was a lot more fun from a spectator standpoint, but the result remained the same. Neither team could generate any consistent offense throughout this game, meaning that this one turned into a back-and-forth slugfest marked by a combined 49 turnovers Crazy. in a 40-minute game. We had over a turnover a minute for the entire game. Well, no, no, 45 minutes because yeah, it was I, That's still more but than still, one. Yeah. It was, it was rough. <laughs> um, uh, UBC had a chance to wrap this one up with 10 seconds left in the fourth, leading 55 to 53. If you watch the game, you'll be familiar with this name. But <laughs> Nicole Franson drain circular as time expired forced the extra period. Franson pulverized the Thunderbirds all weekend long, putting up 25 points, 18 rebounds, and 7 assists in the Saturday's matchup. I gotta get D- Diana to start proofreading my sections <laughs> before we go on air. I'm sorry for putting in a word like pulverized. <laughs> I I thought it was good. Uh, It was Council and Johnson leading the T-Birds with 15 and 10 points, respectively. But, and apologies to the dead horse that's taking such a beating on this show. Shooting efficiency, once again, the UBC kryptonite. Council was 4 for 19. Johnson was 4 for 15. Emily Martindale, 1 for 10. And as a team, the Thunderbirds were 0 for 8 in overtime, not a single field goal. Yeah, it it was not pretty, especially that overtime. They were so close the entire game, and then... Everything just fell apart for the Thunderbirds. They're now 3-7, and seven, and they are 6th place out of 7 teams in the Canada West-West division. Every team, though, in Canada West makes the playoffs this year with the new format. Uh, just depends on how many buys you get uh, for your seating. UBC Group, they will need to shore things up over the winter break if they are to go into the postseason with any sort of confidence. They return with a home exhibition game against the Huskies on January 8th before resuming conference play on the 13th in Kelowna against the Heat. The UBC men's team, they made it a weekend split for the basketball programs by winning both of their games over the Spartans, playing without Sukman Sandu and going against a Super Saiyan Jaqueline Gilbreth for TWU. The Thunderbirds fought hard to head into the winter break a perfect 10-0, winning 78-68 to and 102 to 97 UBC seemed prepared to cruise in the third quarter of the first game, up by 19 points at one point and by 14 with 10 minutes to go. But in the fourth, Gilbreth caught fire and the lead shrunk to as few as four points before the Thunderbirds shooters 
close things out. A bit close for comfort, but a win is a win. Yeah, with Grant Audu struggling to find a shot really for the first time all year, James Woods and Brian Wallach stepped up very well for the Thunderbirds. Woods led the team with 24 points and 9 rebounds. Wallach double-doubled uh, 14 boards and 13 points. Both of those were career highs for him as well. And then the grad school great Kyle Foreman had 10 points and a team leading five assists. Yeah, Gilbreth went for only 27 points in this one. That was uh, game leading. He fouled out with three minutes to go, so he could have had more. And ex-T-Bird, Mason Borsia, he led the Spartans with eight rebounds. Yeah, Gilbreth fouling out was really what killed any chance of the full comeback, because after that point, I don't, I don't know if the Spartans had a single field goal in the final few minutes of that game. It was just the, he, he was carrying the offense on his back, and then he fouled out, and it was quite unfortunate. Mm-hmm. The uh, game two played out shockingly similar to game one in terms of leads and deficits. The Thunderbirds led by 18 in the third quarter, but it was a lead cut to four points in the fourth as the Thunderbirds held on for dear life. The difference in this one was both offenses firing on all cylinders. Adu had 24, Woods had 22, Foreman double-doubled with 18 and 12 assists, and <sighs> say say it, Corey. <laughs> credit where credit is due. Lincoln Rosebush, he came off the bench. He scored 14 points in just 17 minutes. He was 6 of 8 shooting. He had 5 rebounds. Keep He's talking. enough, <laughs> My man, Lincoln Rosebush, the sharpshooter off the bench, hitting threes, getting dunks. We love to see it. <laughs> Corey is in shambles. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm okay with giving him credit when he actually does good things. This mm-hmm. is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, he contributed. My issue is when we spend five minutes talking about him, <laughs> and he had two points, one rebound, and five minutes of action. Yes. Well, no more games like that, Lincoln. We believe in you. <laughs> For the Spartans, Gilbreth, he was even better than on the previous night. He scored 37 points. It was absolutely insane to watch. I had the pleasure of being able to call this game. At one point, with the shot clock winding down, he had to shoot from the logo, and he swished it. It was It was crazy. Isaiah Reimer, he had 22 points, and he didn't t- attempt a single two-point shot the entire game. <laughs> I think he was, something, he was something like <laughs> 7 for 15 shooting, all of them three-point attempts. And then Borsier nearly triple-doubled with 14 points, 13 assists, and 8 rebounds. And meanwhile, Gilbreth didn't even get named the Canada West Men's Basketball Player of the Week. That went to UVic's Diego Mafia, who scored 40 points over the weekend. Of course, Nicole Franson did deservedly get the Canada West Women's Basketball Player of the Week for Trinity Western, so that maybe they didn't want the same school to have both players, especially because the men's team for Trinity Western also lost both the games, but still, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. A couple things. One, Diego Mafia, what a sick name. That's incredible. <laughs> I can't wait till we play them. Uh, the other thing, 40 points for him. I mean, like James Woods had more. And he won both of his games, so I don't fully understand that. And Gilbreth had 37 in one game. That's three less than he had over the entire weekend. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> I think he was wrong. We're now cheering for Trinity Western. What's wrong with us? I mean, we play them so often. It only makes sense. Uh, for the men's team, there's no exhibition game yet scheduled for the next month. If that holds, we'll see the Thunderbirds fall the woman to Kelowna for a January 13th matchup against the Heat. Yeah, and like I said earlier, that is now winter break for our sports teams. All of our athletes are focusing on their exams. There is no more action until the new year. With that said, 
We are going to have one more show for the semester next week. We have an interview with Shaylee McConnell. As well, we'll take a look back at this past semester, the great return to play for our UBC teams, and touch on the different highs and lows that they had. But for now, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is The Shakespeare Show. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, and Diana Hong with contributions from Mike Liu. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.